Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, August 6th, 2023. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, I wrote Brian. I fixed it twice. Brain, brain. Brian teasers. <laughs> Brian teasers, yes. His new book, Brain Teasers for Broadway Geniuses, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. And please, pre-order it because the number of pre-orders really, really helps on the Amazon listings for Peter. And uh, we all want to support Peter's books. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Good morning. Oh, also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at fellowspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So uh, uh, these aren't really the dog days of August. We've got some pretty good... Uh, the heat has broken here in New York. At least, are you guys enjoying it? Are you getting out to see outdoor theater or anything? <laughs> no, I've been indoors quite a bit. Indoors <clears throat> and and Michael <clears throat> walking the dog. <laughs> the dog is <laughs> back with its owner. <laughs> oh, you're oh. such a good, you're yeah. such a, a good foster. Any yeah. new ones on the on the horizon? Maybe. No, no, no. The last one was not um, a foster. I was just sitting for a friend, uh, so oh. he's back. He's back oh. with the folks, you know. Uh, <laughs> I I I guess that aside from uh, cast album reviews, you can do uh, dogsittingreviews.com. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. So, uh, just some housekeeping news. First of all, I want to thank Matt Timonini for taking over the chair last week and putting out a show with uh, Michael and Jan Simpson, uh, and also I mentioned that Jan Simpson's all the drama. Uh, was released this week uh, to Patreon members. It's the um, she had a discussion with Rob Fisher, the Encore's musical director, the founding mm-hmm. musical director mm-hmm. at Encore's, uh, about the 1960 Pulitzer Prize winner uh, Fiorello. So um, mm. uh, take a listen to that. It'll be available to the public next week. But in Patreon right now, if you go to Patreon.com/slash Broadway Radio, you can get it right now. So thanks, Matt, and thanks, Jen, for all your extra work. I appreciate it. Uh, first up in our review section, Peter, you got over to East Haddam, Connecticut. Is there a Haddam? I know there's an East Haddam. <laughs> uh, and so, or a West really, Haddam. Yeah. You know, upstate New York, there's a West Seneca East. And, uh, and I was like, why don't you just call it Central Seneca? But... <laughs> Anyway, so you got over to East Haddam's, Connecticut, to the Goodspeed Opera House to see a new production of what's the title is called Summerstock, which is confusing because we were thinking, oh, it's just Summerstock up at Goodspeed. What are they doing? They're doing Summerstock. Who's on first? So, uh, Peter, tell us about this new musical. Oh, oh it is. Oh, it definitely is. Um, I watched the movie uh, the night before, and um, it bears very little relationship to the movie which is a good thing um <clears throat> i find the movie uh pretty predictable and ho-hum i was very surprised at that sherry Stelkellner. um no I, I didn't get that right let me uh do her name again she deserves it 
Sherry Stein Kellner. Um, she has a mission to uh, make young people hear songs of yesteryear. She did it in a show called Taloma Baby, which uh, MTI licenses uh, to schools. And um, that's what she wants. She wants people to rescue these songs from yesteryear. And she certainly did with Summer Stock because of the songs in the movie, only three have survived in this version. And she has taken songs from here, there, and everywhere. So you get um, Accentuate the Positive, I'm Always Chasing Rainbow, Always, It's Only a Paper Moon, The Best Things in Life Are Free, etc., etc., etc. A lot of songs, and I am telling you, they fit so well to her new story. All right. If you know the movie Summer Stock, there they are. Um, Judy Garland is running a farm and it's on tough times and she doesn't know what she's going to do. And um, maybe if she had a tractor, things would work out because her handyman have quit and um, she's got to get a tractor. So she goes to downtown to where Eddie Bracken is desperately in love with her. And um, but she isn't in love with him. Uh, but uh, her, uh, Eddie Bracken's father, uh, played by Ray Collins, wants them to get married. Um, that's and so he's going to give her the tractor and um, no sooner does she get home after singing Happy Harvest, a wonderful song, than um, indeed she finds that the whole farm is overrun by actors. Her sister is an actress and she has invited all these people to come and put on a show in a barn. So um, and and as luck would have it, um, and Phil Silvers ruins the tractor and the pigs all get out from the farm and they're running all around and all that goes with that. Well, you know, you're watching the just saying. Oh, it'll be very exciting when a tractor comes on stage at good speed. You can, I can hear the applause now. Um, what are they going to do with the pigs? I don't know, you know, so on and so forth. Anyway, uh, in the movie, um, out of nowhere, Judy Garland has to be pressed into service as an actress and um, sings Get Happy at the end of the, the show. So it's a little clunky. <clears throat> Sherry Stein Kellner has dropped virtually everything uh, and has made motivations much clearer. First off, the two guys who are leaving at the beginning of the movie are now going to work for the Wingates, and the Wingates have all the property except for this farm, and um, and it's not Ray Collins anymore. It's it's now Vianne Cox, a woman who indeed is in power, and she is going to take over the farm. So um, she's going to work very hard to make that happen. So that's an added complication. Now, the other thing is that there is much more motivation for why things happen. Now, for example, um, when the uh, Gene Kelly character who uh, is running the show shows up, it's her father who indeed welcomes him warmly because they were in the service together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very strong. There's a leading man who comes um, to star on the show, and he's a star. Why would he do that? Why would a star come and work with these people? Well, because, indeed, the Gene Kelly character saved his life in the war. So he owes him a favor. It's, it's never explained in the movie why Hans Conried, is, uh, who's ostensibly a big star, is, is fooling around with these people um, hmm. who have very little experience. So is, I'm telling you, she really gave this a lot of thought. It's really quite wonderful. Um, what's very funny, by the way, for those who um, know their Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand history, there actually is a sequence where Happy Days Are Here Again is merged with Get Happy, which is um, an amazing thing. I'll, I'll never forget seeing it on the Judy Garland show and being so impressed that um, those two songs were able to fit together so well. But anyway, all right. How does the father feel about his daughter? Well, he thinks that Gloria, who's the actress, um, uh, is sugar and spice, while Jane, the Judy Garland character, is salt and vinegar. So, uh, but the thing is, she's the one who's had to make the farm work. Now, here's what's really strong, too. As kids, Gloria and Jane always put on shows in the backyard. They loved doing it. They even made a record um, at one of those booths that you could make records at. So, there was a time when Jane at least flirted with having a theatrical career, but the farm needed her. Gloria ran off to become an actress, but Jane stayed around. But here's the thing. So at the end of the show, when Jane has to take over, it's not like she's never done anything like this before. No, she's always had this urge to be a performer. She used to do it. And here she is. So, it doesn't come out of nowhere mm-hmm. that indeed um, she just takes 
gets over and she's wonderful. No. Um, so I think that's very, very strong, too. Um, so she really gave this so much thought. Um, it's also said at the time, uh, we know that it's um, in uh, late 49 or early 1950, because there's a lot of talk about the cast um, of the show going off to New York and audition for this show called Guys and Dolls. So um, and um, the Gene Kelly character urges her to stay, uh, urges them to stay, because after all, um, a bird in the hand, you know, they've got a job, though it could be effectively argued. A lot of women in that cast could have been hotbox girls, but that's another story entirely. So um, so many times songs from yesteryear are shoehorned in but i'll tell you like for example always which was a song that indeed um was a a song that vn cox's character um it meant a lot to her when she was growing up um and in her relationship with her husband well well what's interesting here is that when judy garland comes in um, I'm using these names because they're more familiar. When Judy Garland comes in and finds out that um, she wants to take over the property, um, she says, not for just an hour, not for this year, but always, you'll never do it. So, I mean, the lyrics really are very, very cleverly put in. Um, so, but it's such fun to see the, this, um, a number where Gloria and, and Jane reminisce. They become almost like a grade school Velma and Roxy, you know, I mean, that type of thing, which is really good. Now, now, what about the Eddie Bracken character? Well, he t- he t- turns out to have a talent for for music as well that's dormant, and um, he gets involved with it. So that uh, produces strife with his mother. I will admit it's a tiny bit clunky that V.N. Cox, who was adamant that this show not go on, uh, falls in love with the star. He has the music that makes her dance. Um, and uh, that's a little clunky, I'll grant you, but that uh, certainly changes things as well. Now, how could the Judy Garland character become the star of the show when the Gloria DeHaven character named Gloria here, um, how, uh, when she's ostensibly the star, as time goes on, she finds out that she has a talent for producing, that she's doing very well as a producer of this show. She's making all these comments about how this should happen, that should happen. What about this? What about that? And they said, well, you're really a producer. And she gets into it. So it's not as if, you know, there's there's a clunky reason why Judy Garland becomes the star. Gloria becomes more interesting in producing and does the job well. So I'm telling you, this Sherry Stein-Kellner really gave this so much thought. So it's very, very effective. All right. Now, we've talked about Judy Garland. We've talked about Gene Kelly. Let's talk about the people who are doing it now. Danielle Wade as the Judy Garland character. Terrific. Terrific. Wonderful. Ariana Rosario as Gloria. Terrific, terrific. Vian Cox, you don't need me to tell me, is always terrific. Corbin Bleu, uh, Joe Ross, uh, the Gene Kelly character, wonderful. They're all wonderful and beautifully directed by Donna Fiore, but as good as the direction is, the choreography is even better. There's tons of it. There's an old uh, saying that you shouldn't have two ballads in a row in a show. Should you have two production numbers in a row in a show? Uh, well, um, <laughs> Donna Fiore convinces you that you should. Um, and um, you, you, the audience was just enraptured by the dancing, which is plentiful. So um, it's a good old fashioned show. Um, it certainly uh, <laughs> lives up to its title as summer stock in the best sense of what that means. And um, I would say about the cast, well, let's return to one of the songs that was in the original movie that's still here too to each of you you wonderful you so peter there's uh, been a tremendous amount of buzz since the review came out in the times about uh, a possible transfer what do you think I hope so. I mean, we certainly have some empty theaters and um, the life of pie isn't there anymore. So uh, it might be easy as pie to get this one to come to Broadway. Uh, <laughs> uh, that'd be nice, too. So we shall see what we shall see. But certainly um, the audience is enraptured by it. It's been a long Long time since I've been to Goodspeed and seen this type of reaction. Reactions have always been good at Goodspeed. The audience is very appreciative, but this was a notch higher. All right. So that is uh, playing through August 27th. So Summerstock at Goodspeed Opera House in East Haddam, Connecticut. As uh, Rob Johnson in our chat room points out, Haddam is on the other side of the Connecticut River from East Haddam. Ah. So uh, we'll have to have uh, ice cream challenges there. So, uh, <laughs> Peter, you hadn't reviewed the ice cream up at East Haddam, Connecticut. Did, did you get? You always bring up any, the ice cream every I time. Did, I, I, I didn't have any this time, but uh, Linda certainly did. You know, so okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. 
So, Michael, uh, you got a chance to go to Theater for a New Audience over in uh, Brooklyn to see Orpheus Descending. Peter talked about it a few weeks ago. What did you think about this uh, play? Yeah, we were discussing um, with some friends the other day as to where this play falls on the Tennessee Williams canon. And I think we um, all decided, we certainly decided it's not at the bottom. And it's certainly not way at the top but i think it's solid middle you know maybe upper middle mm-hmm. um it's uh not the most focused play he ever wrote and i guess as he as his career went on um his be- plays became less uh well made if that's the right word and and more experimental um so there's some of that here, but I, you know, there's still a very strong narrative, um, linear narrative about this lady, um, <laughs> literally Lady Torrance, who is living. Uh, the, the note on this uh, program here says the entire action of the play takes place in a general dry goods store and part of a connecting confectionery in a small southern town during a rainy season, late winter and early spring. And uh, Lady is uh, originally from Italy, and so she's an outsider in that sense. She talks very differently from everyone else in this town. Um, and she, for whatever reason, and we, we eventually get all the backstory, is married to an absolute horror of a guy who's, um, uh, I mean, if he's not actually in the Ku Klux Klan he might as well be <laughs> uh, just just a very very mean, evil, scary, racist, horrible old weather, southern white guy, um, and he's got a lot of friends just like him. So they're they're kind of a scary group. Uh, so she needs um, a savior, and she gets a Xavier, yeah. uh, <laughs> Valentine Xavier. Uh, played by Pico Alexander in this production, um, who is a, kind of a drifter. But um, the, the, as per the title, Orpheus Descending, he also uh, he carries around a guitar, a uh, wonderful guitar that has signatures from some of the very great musicians of the time. And, of course, he treasures that guitar. Um, so he comes in, and, and there's an immediate attraction between him and Lady, although there's a lot of, uh, because they two are very different, there's uh, a lot of that sort of love-hate thing at first. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, uh, wow. you know, but that leads to a lot of passion, as sometimes, as we as we often know. Uh, Ma- Lady Torrance, by the way, is played by Maggie Siff. And, uh, I, as I said, Valentine by Pico Alexander. I'm not familiar with either of their work, but uh, our listeners may know them from TV uh, or theater work. And I would say that they were both excellent. Um, I remember um, I, Peter said, I, I believe you said that you didn't think that uh, Pico Alexander had quite enough heat in the role of Val. Uh, I, 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 I would disagree. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't overtly aggressively sexual, but um I thought he was more uh, in a more low key way. I thought he carried that across. And um, this is really interesting. Uh, Maggie Siff. um, I almost would. There were times when I thought she was almost playing the role as if in a Saturday Night Live sketch or in a sitcom. Uh, I would say quite broad comedy, also a very, very broad, but very accurate to me, Italian accent. Um, And I'm not sure exactly that's exactly what Williams wanted and what was called for. By the way, the role was created by Maureen Stapleton on stage and then played in the film version, which was called The Fugitive Kind by Anna Magnani, uh, for whom it was written, basically. Um, so again, I'm not sure that necessarily that that Williams would have wanted her, her to be so comic. Um, but what it did was it made her very, very likable, and the audience really seemed to love her and therefore became all the more invested in her very, very difficult situation where she has to figure out what to do with this beautiful, you know, 
sweet young guy uh, has come into town and she's fallen in love with him. And and meanwhile, she's got a husband who would kill her in a minute, probably. Um, uh, and that's not meant as foreshadowing. Uh, so, um, so, yeah. So I don't think her performance was entirely successful, but it really did caused me to care for that character in a in a different way than I have in the past. And uh, I guess the only significant production of this play that I've seen before was the one on Broadway with Vanessa Redgrave, who is no slouch, uh, shall we say. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm not saying that I didn't respond to Vanessa's performance, because I certainly did. But I think that uh, this was a different kind of a way of drawing the audience into this really charming, funny woman. Uh, and I think the production was excellent overall. I, I don't often get out to theater for a new audience, but I'm going to have to try to get there more often because this was just um, straight down the board. Uh, very, very good. Quite a large cast, not a false note in the cast and uh, beautifully directed by Erica Schmidt. Um, so I think that I got it at the very end. I think it, um, I did not, not double check. I think maybe it closes today. Um, uh, but it's, um, it's soon anyway, if it's not today. So yeah, I, it is I, today. Yeah. Yeah. I may have, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but well, Peter, you know, uh, got to it a little earlier and he reported on it to you then. So that's Orpheus descending. All right. So as Michael mentioned, the Theater for a New Audience production is closing today, August 6th. Uh, so if you are listening to this and you <laughs> right are <now>. in Brooklyn, <laughs> you, you might be able to get it. still that. time, right? Yeah. <laughs> still time. You know, Peter, if yeah. people did miss it, they could just jump in the DeLorean and uh <laughs> head back you know they're a week you know it's a it's fam- that that famous peter felicia question if you could ever if you could ever go back and see a production you know this might be the show that could uh that could make it happen of course i'm talking about back to the future the musical the transfer of the new musical based upon the uh the movie from when is it the 1990s or the 2000s? No, no, it was, it was uh, 85. 85. 85. Yeah. The 1985 movie, um, Back to the Future. It is now playing at the Winter Garden Theater. Peter got a chance to see it, so tell us about it. Uh, I had seen it in London, and uh, this is very much a replication of the London production. Uh, it looks the same. Um, and. <clears throat> I remember, I'm going to bring up me and my girl, which seems so strange because one of the wonderful things about me and my girl is that the opening number, they made it very clear that you were going to get your money's worth. That yes, for that orchestra seat, for that first row orchestra seat that you paid $45 for, you were going to get your money's worth because indeed they showed you the set and um, it twirled around and you saw the inside of a castle and people who really uh, are concerned about money and who isn't and people who want to get their bang for the buck when they go to the theater and who doesn't uh we're very pleased immediately well needless to say tickets ain't 45 no mo but but the point is at least when you go to back to the future you will see where the money went uh it's very elaborate in every way um certainly scenically and certainly with projections uh, a lot of electricity is being spent on this show and of course mm-hmm. there's that DeLorean car which um makes an appearance here there and everywhere so if you recall the story, Marty McFly and uh, Doc Brown uh, f- find a way to get him back to 1955. And uh, indeed, he has many adventures there. And um, and when he comes back, his life has changed tremendously. And so has his family. It's very nice. I remember seeing the movie at a screening and saying, oh, but when he gets back, he's still going to have those drudgy parents. Um, <laughs> but that isn't what happens at all. Okay, so it follows it quite quite well it really does um and the songwriters have done a decent job in um making the uh 80 songs sound like 80 songs it's still set in 85 80 songs sound like 80 songs and the 50 songs sounds like 50 songs one song reminded me very much of a thousand 
uh, Stars in the Sky, which was sung by Kathy and the Innocents way back in the 50s. Um, I do believe that that's an underestimation. Um, there are more than a thousand stars in the sky. And I've always wondered about Kathy and the Innocents because I guess that implies that Kathy isn't innocent, right? Um, I guess that's how she, I guess that's how she became the leader of the group. Anyway, but back to back to the future. Um, so uh, the the songs are amiable. Um, false rhymes abound like crazy right from the beginning. Down and around uh, uh, mentioned right at the very first couplet uh, in the songs. Casey likes does a very fine job. Uh, seems a little more mature and less innocent than Michael J. Fox did in the original movie roger bart has a wonderful time cavorting up there um some will say he's um over the top not often not often uh does the role and uh, he did it in london as well and i saw him there and uh, he isn't walking through it um uh, at, at all uh, even though he's done it for quite some time now so uh that's very nice to see and um he really has the audience in uh, certainly the palm of his hand so uh, that's very good too supporting cast is very very good as well um uh, it could have been a better musical with um, <laughs> better rhymes, and uh, but at least the songwriters knew enough to uh, include um, the power of love, which is a marvelous song, and um, was in the movie. I guess it was inevitable they would do that these days. You you don't do a, um, a, a movie that had a song in it that was popular without including it, um, mm. as opposed to like when Breakfast at Tiffany's was done, they wouldn't have included Moon River. Um, so, uh, and uh, Johnny B. Good uh, is in it as well. So uh, there's, it really is the template of the movie. Um, it, you don't see anything that you didn't see um, in the movie, uh, though, of course, many of the things that were in the movie you don't see. I mean, for example, the famous manure scene. I will leave it at that. Um, they, they have to make some accommodations uh, because you can't certainly do things on stage that you can do on film. But um, it's it's an enjoyable time. I think it's going to run for a very, very long time time now um many of the people have said yeah but the reviews weren't that hot but yeah uh, word of mouth is going to be sensational because they spent the money and that is what is going to sell it the fact that the people are going to be very pleased that um their eyes will be knocked out maybe not their ears but their eyes will be knocked out mostly by what they see in terms of projection and cars um rather than the show itself <clears throat> Yeah, I was having a discussion with uh, somebody about the brutal, brutal reviews uh, that uh, Back to the Future had, and uh, I pointed out to them that I, I, I feel like, you know, most uh, most Broadway shows these days are about marketing and not. Uh, the reviews are just a minor component of the marketing these days. Well, there's so. another factor here too um, that's kind of interesting because. Um, <laughs> So many shows in the uh, British Invasion era uh, seem mm -hmm. to be critic-proof, starting with Cats, uh, which didn't get good reviews and certainly ran. You don't need me to tell you that. <laughs> but it's funny because uh, we think of those shows uh, as, of course, written by British people. And here we have a, a British import that was not written by British people, <clears throat> and yet it still has that critic-proof um, uh, aura about it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think the Winter Garden is going to be um, – occupied for a long time with this show and that's fine with me i'm telling you i know this is a show that's going to please a lot of people and in a time where uh we certainly need a good time uh back to the future provides that so um so that's um, that's fine with me parenthetically I i'm reading uh robert hoffler uh posted on facebook i'm told the musical back to the future is a big hit we shall see Broadway audiences go for musical comedy romances, which this is not. It is a flat-out comedy and not a very funny one at that. Here's the link to my review at The Wrap. Um, do I don't know if you specifically addressed it, Peter. Would you say it's funny? Um, Roger Bart is funny. Um, uh, but, uh, it, no, it's not hilarious or anything like that. Um, I, I don't know if there were many belly laughs in the audience. But I don't, I don't feel that that's um, a criterion that needs to be met. That um, that Robert said. Well, I so, mean, yeah, you may disagree with him on that, and, and yeah. so may I. But he said that um, I got a laugh out of this line <laughs> from the uh, uh, review in the New York Times by Jesse Green. He said, uh, you know, uh, that I guess there, there was at least that one 
thing they had to change. They felt they had to change for political correctness because in the original uh, in the original movie, there are mm. Libyan terrorists who um, who uh, well in the movie they they mm. kill uh, Doc at, at the beginning, and so yeah, then, yeah, yeah, then yeah. there has to be a the way for Marty to figure out a way mm. to make that not happen. So uh, what what uh, <laughs> Jesse wrote is. Um, when Doc's DeLorean accidentally transports the teenager to 1955 during the exact week in which George McFly, his, uh, his Patsy father and Lorraine, his boozing mother, fell in love at a high school dance, his presence threatens to create a causal paradox interfering with their courtship and erasing his own existence. Oh, but also I skipped I'm sorry, I skipped the relevant part. Um, he says, certainly the musical's book by Bob Gale sticks as close to his 1985 screenplay as stagecraft and current day taste permit. The Libyans who threatened Doc Brown are gone, swapped for radiation poisoning, which as yet has no defenders. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, when I saw it in England, I, I said to Linda, you will not be there for the second act. There's no way in the world you are going to be there for act two. And she surprised me. She stayed. I mean, that that amazed me beyond belief. I I never thought that she'd have any taste for this show whatsoever. But uh, she found it an amiable um, enough experience to stay. Hmm. Maybe she didn't have a good ice cream place in mind in London. (laughs) That could have been it. (laughs) Yeah. But did she come again in New York? Uh, She didn't see it in uh, London. She wouldn't go. Um, Oh, I got it backwards. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So. (laughs) All right. So uh, Back to the Future is now and forever at the Winter Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> We've heard that and, before. Yeah. And it was true. And it was true. Yeah, yeah. And it was true. Oh, oh right. And, yeah, different theater. Yeah. yeah. No. And same theater. Right. Oh, same, same theater. theater. Same theater. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, interrupted by that music man uh, and, and some uh, ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. Mamma Mia. Yeah, Mamma Mia, too. Yeah. I guess it's been a while since Cats has been there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah thinking about sure, it. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Michael's going to see it soon. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to get it in, too. We'll talk about it again. Uh, Matt Polk, the uh, PR rep, um, posted a photo of uh, Bernadette Peters uh, hanging out at the DeLorean. And I was huh. like, that's how she looks so young. <laughs> good for you. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Time travel. <laughs> exactly. All right. So um uh, Michael got into the DeLorean and headed over to Birdland, where he saw Daniel Reichhardt, the uh former current and future Jersey boy. Um so tell us about this, Michael. Well, I always love to attend Daniel's shows because he's so great yeah. and so charming. Uh very, very witty. I think he uh probably could have made a career as a writer even if he didn't have great singing and acting talent um and i've gone to a lot of his christmas shows which are always a delight uh but then other shows that he's done uh just uh with various themes or without themes this one was rather a surprise because i think um it seemed to me that the theme was kept under wraps um until I got there, and it was a, of all things, it was a tribute to Mister Rogers, called mm. "It's You I Like," mm. uh, at Birdland this past Monday, and uh, it was very delightful. I think uh, there was an inherent problem in the show, in that first of all, I, I'm not completely sure that that subject matter warranted a full length show. Um, but also more specifically the songs uh, there were s- several mr rogers songs featured in the show and only mr rogers songs um wow which he uh e- either wrote or co-wrote himself mr rogers uh and they are absolutely wonderful for the purpose you know for which they were devised which was to entertain children and and you know give them life lessons sometimes and things like that. But they, because of who they're aimed at and the age group that they're aimed at, the lyrics are extremely repetitious. Uh, and 
uh, I think uh, to me, a whole evening was that was uh, of that was really a little too much. Um, mm. And I'm a little surprised that um, mm. Daniel didn't realize that that inherent issue, or maybe he did and he just didn't think it mattered. Um, so that said, he, you know, his performance of, of those songs was wonderful. The, I think some of the best parts of the show when, when he would talk and um, relate uh, the Mr. Rogers songs and outlook on life uh, to his own life uh, as a, as a, you know, a, a child growing up as one of nine children. Wow. Um, yeah. And so that, mm. I think that family probably really appreciated having a Fred Rogers around <laughs> on TV, you know, uh, those, those were the best parts of the show and some really moving uh, sections as well. Uh, and as I say, Daniel was charming throughout and he still has his beautiful voice. Um, so it was, it was really great to see him. And I that made me think back to that wonderful movie about, uh, Mr. Rogers that Tom Hanks did. A few yeah. Years yeah. Ago. Mm. Yeah. That was a really, really, really good movie. I agree. Um, and I'm going to have to see that again at some point. Um, I watched it again just recently. Yeah. Really oh, yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So that was it. Uh, it's You I Like, Daniel Reichardt at mm. Birdland. <laughs> hmm. All right. So, uh, and the next thing up, Peter uh, <laughs> did a time warp here. And headed down to Addison, Texas, to the Water Tower Theater, where he saw Going Hollywood. And I was thinking to myself, why is Peter going all the way to Addison, Texas, to see Going Hollywood? And then I saw it was written by Stephen Cole and David Crane and directed by Gabe Barry. And I'm like, it's like the Upper West Side of Manhattan there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and what a terrific show it turned out to be Um, it was time traveling when you think of it because after all uh, Dallas is an hour um, earlier than we are so (laughs) Uh, so anyway go in Hollywood Uh, it it starts out on February 10th 2023 and you're wondering why be so specific did something really important happen on that day Um, and I did some research I found out that um, Adidas um, dropped Kanye West um, before he was known as G, um, or maybe after, I don't know. Anyway, um, so I don't think that was it, you know, that uh, (laughs) caused um, this to happen. But anyway, Stephen Cole certainly has a reason for choosing February 10th. And and this is a time travel story as well, because indeed, um, here is... um, Alice, uh, with her collaborator, they write musicals, um, Garson, and um, she's turning 30, and they find out that the producer has dropped the option on their musical that they expected to be produced, and she says, oh, if we could only go back in time to when uh, musicals were appreciated uh, during the MGM era, and um, it's her birthday, she blows out the candles, and suddenly we're back in 1948, and... Um, Yes, indeed. It is a time when musicals are appreciated in Hollywood. And um, and unlike Summer Stock, what we have here is an original score. Stephen Cole is an excellent lyricist who certainly does perfect rhymes and correct scansion and uh, is very witty as well. And he has his people go into... Um, the Hollywood arena. And luckily they do have a champion uh, in AJ, who's a director who thinks they're very good and says um, that they're... Um, that the way they write is almost as if they're having sex, which is something, by the way, Garson wishes they would have, but Alice isn't particularly interested in that. So, um, so what are they going to write about? What, what would be a good subject at the time? Well, considering the fact that this is 1948, when we're dealing with the blacklist and the jailing of the Hollywood 10 and all that goes with that, they're going to uh, write a musical about naming names. Now, Layman Engel, when he was running the BMI workshop, always told his student, look for humor in dark places. And that's indeed what Stephen Cole has done. And they do a hellishly clever uh, number about uh, the blacklist. And um, it's it's very, very funny and very effective. Of course, uh, is this going to fly with the powers that be, including Louis B. Mayer? And what's really very wonderful here is the fact that Louis B. Mayer, and this is historically accurate, I'm telling you, he is such a great historian. And I'm going to segue for a second that he's just written a book 
uh, a novel called Mary and Ethel and Mikey Who, which deals with Mary Martin, Ethel Merman, and a fictional character. And I've read the book, and it goes back in time, and it is meticulous. He chooses the perfect places when Mary um, and Ethel were doing various shows apart and the one they did together as well. Um, they did two, but anyway, uh, he's, he concentrates on the first one when they did the um, TV special. Well, anyway, back to the show, which is certainly worth talking about. Uh, Louis B. Mayer makes it very clear that he knows that um, there's talk that Dory Sherry is going to be taking over this, uh, his job. Now, this is interesting because the second M in MGM is Mayer. And and yet, yeah, that show business, folks, you know, even though you, you're involved with the company since day one, it doesn't mean you're going to stay there forever. I mean, you know, so so that's a complication as well. But um, they get into one adventure after the other, and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And yet, and yet, and yet, it works out wonderfully in the way that it should. So it's very, very skillful in that way, too. What I really like, too, is that... Um, at one point, Alice is in the writer's room, and of course, the people are all saying, um, Alice, would you go get me a cup of coffee, and while you're at it, get me a sweet roll, and so on and so forth. And now, she could sing a song of frustration, singing about the fact that, uh, oh, uh, look at the way they're treating me. But just as Sondheim and Sweeney Todd had Sweeney sing a beautiful ballad while he's slitting throats, <laughs> um, Steve Cole smartly um, has Alice sing about the fact that, well, this isn't the way it's always going to be that women are certainly going to have power in the years to come. And that is my consolation right now. And that's a great idea. You know, that isn't expected. Uh, a lesser songwriter would have had her do an angry rant, just mm-hmm. as a lesser songwriter doing Sweeney Todd would have had um, during the slitting throats number, what essentially was the epiphany number. You know, so a million wonderful uh, details in this show. And again, Gabriel Barry, I am telling you, um, if, if you have a musical and you want it developed, um, why don't you call him up? Because he is such a great director. And I learned this many, many moons ago, almost a quarter century ago, was it, when he did The Wild Party off-Broadway, the Lippa one, um, directed it beautifully. 14 seconds into the show, I knew I wanted to see it again. And same thing here. Beautifully directed, wonderfully blocked, um, and um, very, very effective. Um, So, um, a a, a triumph all around. And I really hope that this show has a future, because it certainly does everything it's supposed to do. And you know an audience appreciates a show when at the end of a scene with dialogue, they applaud. Not a song that ends the scene. Yeah, okay, you expect applause. They even polite applause. No. When you get applause from a scene ending, you know you're doing it right. So uh, here's hoping for a, a, a nice, bright future for going Hollywood, which should be going Broadway. All right. So, going Hollywood uh, was playing July nineteenth through July thirtieth at the Water Tower Theater in Addison, Texas. Hopefully, we'll get one closer to home very soon. And mm-hmm. uh, I know we've talked about it before, but um, seconding the whole Gabe Barry Wild Party thing was just mm. really, really amazing. So many years ago, wish I had a DeLorean to get me back there me to too. see, see it one more time. I yeah. saw it a bunch of times myself. Mm, mm. All right. So uh, this week we've had a lot of uh, a lot of heat and a lot of rain <laughs> that has passed, and uh, it made me think a lot about the Tempest. Uh, <laughs> Peter got over to the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival to see their production of the Tempest. So tell us about that. Well, I'll tell you, you know, the, the wonderful thing about this is uh, Robert Cuccioli. All of us came to know him um, through Jekyll and Hyde, though a few of us had known him through um, the uh, And the World Goes Round review. He was he was part of that cast. But it was Jekyll and Hyde that really made him um, noted. And I, I really feel that he got such a bad break that year uh, because I think he should have won the Tony. Um, he was so sensational in that role. Roles. <laughs> plural um <laughs> they should have given him two tonys and james naughton won that year for um billy flynn in chicago and uh, having seen the original chicago with jerry orbach and by the way michael's jerry orbach show is coming back in january so make your plans now um <laughs> oh. anyway uh, anyway um james naughton was not nearly as good as, as jerry orbach so um 
Bob Cuccioli really should have won the uh, Tony that year. But here's the thing. Um, A a, a lot of people do say that Shakespeare, of course, is very musical, and uh, it is. um, But nevertheless, so many people can't make the adjustment from going from musicals, which um, certainly Mr. Cuccioli has done time and time again, but uh, Shakespeare as well. I certainly saw him do very well at the New Jersey Shakespeare Festival um, when uh, he was doing Antony and Anthony and Cleopatra. But here he's Prospero. And, you know, Prospero was not a big role, along with the Phantom of the Opera and Lady Brachtel in, in earnest. Um, it, there's very little stage time, but you really have to make it count. And he was marvelous here, marvelous um, in doing magic when he wanted to do magic and holding back when he didn't want to do magic and certainly um, not getting quite revenge on what um, his um, adversary caused him to go on an island to begin with. But um, really taking charge at the end, uh, getting what he was entitled to at the end. So a very, very fine performance. And uh, you wish that Shakespeare had given him more stage times so you could have seen uh, more. But but the real thing is that um, you really should discover this Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival. Um, Jason King Jones is now the artistic director. He staged this. And every production I have seen there going back years and years um, – is has been terrific there hasn't been a lemon yet and i really really am so appreciative of what they do here it's not that far from the city and it's a very easy drive on route 78 so um to center valley which by the way um uh, is uh the name of the town though um lehigh valley i think is the name of the uh, county and that even showed up jason uh king jones wasn't above adding some contemporary touches to this tempest and i don't think shakespeare would have minded terribly much because they were very commercial and after all shakespeare was a commercial playwright but um, it was also great fun to see Eric Hissom as Alonso, who an actor I admired very much when he was doing a lot of work in New Jersey. So, but um, it, here we are with a terrific, terrific uh, supporting cast: um, Christopher Patrick Mullen, excellent, excellent as Caliban. So, um, and um, Sarah Gulico, uh, a wonderful aerial, um, flying around the stage and um, really taking command when she was on too. Um, Gonzalo was Gonzala as Su Jin Long, Song uh, did the part and did it extraordinarily well. So uh, I, I try to follow around, but uh, what I really want to indicate is that this is um, a terrific company. And this season was known as Brave New Worlds, plural, because Brave New World does appear. That phrase, which we attribute uh, mostly to Aldous Huxley, he got it from uh, The Tempest, believe me. <laughs> That's where it was uh probably originally said i can't say for sure that somebody in the 1400s or 1300s didn't come up with the phrase but uh, nevertheless we attribute it to shakespeare and um so this was a good season for them they did in the heights i uh, i love their henry this fourth part two which was great um they did jane austen's sense and sensibility lady day at emerson's bar and grill and i can't wait to see what they're doing next year and i guarantee you i'll be there next year too oh, the only show think- i ever the only show I ever saw there was uh, William Michaels in Sweeney Todd. Oh, I and saw that Sweeney Todd too. I thought it was, was excellent. indeed excellent. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as uh, you can tell by the Peter's recitation of the season, uh, they do not only do Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Very few Shakespeare theaters do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for the Globe. Right. The Globe only does Shakespeare when it uh, uh, in yeah. in in the UK. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I thought, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I was yeah, thinking not the U.S. The not the, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, not that's the, globe, the old yeah. globe. So that's the old yeah. globe. So I should yeah. have um, put two and exactly. two together there. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if they can call themselves old. Are they older? Than you know, <laughs> wait a minute. I saw I saw something on Shakespeare. I saw something on Shakespeare at the Globe. I don't remember really? what it was, but yeah, it was a new play. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I forget what it was. All right. So <laughs> and, and then it revives that whole discussion. Was Shakespeare all written by Shakespeare? Indeed. But that's a whole other podcast. It is. So, <laughs> all right. So, uh, The Tempest at Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival through August 6th. That's today. If you happen to be in Lehigh Valley <laughs> and not in Brooklyn, you might be able to get over to it in time to catch the last performance of it. Um, we have to flash back uh, to 20 minutes earlier in our discussion of of uh the winter garden theater and back to the future because uh, 
Alan Teasley in our chat room says, don't forget Rocky. Absolutely. Rocky was in there at the Mm -hmm. Winter Garden Theater. And Rob Johnson says, sometimes I think Peter and I were the only ones who liked Rocky. That is not true. I liked Rocky too. So <laughs> it's funny because there was a movie Rocky Two. <laughs> yes, that, it's another story. <laughs> yes, and I mean Rocky and Bullwinkle. Right. So <laughs> I like that too. All right. Uh, some news this week that has been bouncing around. We should mention is that uh, we can have a Spamlot revival coming into the uh, St. James. Um, this is coming from the Kennedy Center. We talked about the uh, possibility of spam lock coming from the Kennedy Center, and here it is. And they're dripping out information. Uh, they don't have any casting or anything like that, mm-hmm. other than it's just going to be directed by Josh Rhodes, and it's coming from the Kennedy Center. Michael, did you see that? I, I did. Yeah, I did. I raved about it. And if they are yeah. lucky enough to get that <clears throat> cast, get your tickets now. Because it was Michael Urie, James Monroe, Iglehart, Alex Brightman, Rob McClure, Leslie Rodriguez Kritzer, et cetera, et cetera. Really, really fantastic. Some people have said that um, that one or two of those people have other commitments. But I think, um, uh, James, do you have it in front of you? When is Spamalot happening? Uh, fall, fall sometime? Spam, yeah, it's happening in the fall. Uh, Rob Johnson just said James Monroe, Igelhot, Brightman, and uh, and yeah, McClure Brightman's are in, not available. Well, the shock is broken. He's in that. Right, yeah. but um, but um, yeah, I don't know how long that's right. Uh, yeah, some things might be limited. I, I, I was so, wondering if sure, sure. it's scheduled. Uh, preview scheduled October thirty first. So they're surely going into rehearsal pretty soon. Opening is right. and the shock is broken. Uh, allegedly, is closing on November nineteenth. So um, it's not impossible he'll leave early, but yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. you know, we'll see. But um, he yeah, certainly yeah. is employed right now as we speak. Right. Well, really it, hard to do the double duty of rehearsal during the day and the show at night. Oh you know? yeah, that's, yeah. As well, yeah, yeah. But we'll see. And mm-hmm. I mean, it really was. It was just terrific. It's not my favorite show. But they mm-hmm. did a really, really, really great job mm-hmm. with it in DC, mm-hmm. and the audience was ecstatic. Mm. So um, I would not have thought we needed to see it again, but I'm glad I saw it there. <laughs> and I think uh, if if the audience response here is anything like it was there, it's going to do f- just fine. Yeah, or probably. Seems- did it? Ha- is it say uh, that it's a limited run? Um, I wouldn't imagine it is. Uh, yeah, I saw for, it. I'm looking through the article here. I did hear it was limited run, but I'm really? not sure what the time. Yeah, I think kind of think so. Here. Yeah. So uh, it's not confirmed in this article in the Times, but. Uh, okay, well, we'll see. We shall see. Yeah. So uh, Rob Johnson also brings up that James Monroe Igelhot is being is doing Louis Armstrong and Rob McClure is on the Doubtfire tour. So uh, unlikely right. that they're going to be back in for Spam a lot. For whatever uh, it's worth. But again, um, it's not until October. So uh, yeah, yeah, for whatever it's worth, um, IBDB does not list a closing date, which they do in its limited runs. So I think they're hoping yeah. for the best. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also in the news, The Notebook, uh, a musical version of the film is coming to Broadway in the spring. Uh, and so that is also stuff to put on the calendar. Um, and then we had, uh, two Broadway passings, uh, Broadway veteran Walter Charles, uh, passed away at the age of 78 and the Lion King and in the Heights star Clifton Oliver died at age 47. Mm. So, uh, these mm. are two, um, awful. two big, big losses for Broadway. Uh, did, uh, did uh, you guys know Walter Charles? I did a little. Um, I, I met him. At the Players Club, and uh, we had a few conversations uh, after that. Very nice guy. He was excellent too in in La Caja Full when he took over um, Zaza Alban. So, um, so I have fond memories of him as a performer and as a human being. So, um, so I was sad uh, to see that. Um, needless to say, mm-hmm. I did not know him personally, but saw him many times on stage and yeah. very, very widely differing roles. I love it that he's the first. 
voice you hear and essentially the first close-up shot of a face you see in the video of Sweeney Todd with George Hearn and Angela Lansbury. Mm. Yeah, Attend yeah, the tale right. of Sweeney Todd. Um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot that. Which is kind of a nice little legacy in itself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he, um, I read that he, uh, I mean, he worked constantly. He was one of those guys, you know, <laughs> who worked constantly. And he also, um, when City Opera did Sweeney Todd, he was the judge, at, at least at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you can imagine he how great he'd be in the, as the judge. Mm. Yeah, and Clifton Oliver, uh, so young at age 47, mm, yeah, he yeah. played Benny in In the Heights on Broadway. Uh, yeah. And um, his sister posted on Facebook that he had entered hospice about six weeks ago. So mm. such a, a, a devastating loss for somebody so young, but yeah. uh, it, it was uh, not a, totally um unexpected yeah. all right so that wraps it up for this week before we get on to trivia and the musical moment i want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com there's a subscribe link that way each and every time we have a new episode of this week on broadway it'll be automatically downloaded to apple podcasts for you of course you don't have to listen to us in apple podcasts as many ways to get us uh, first way is Patreon. Patreon is uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Broadway Radio. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can get our shows early like Jan Simpson's All the Drama uh, at Patreon if you subscribe to us there. You can also subscribe to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play. And a reminder that Stitcher is closing up and changing their platform on August 29th. So change over now if you can. So, and we have links to everything in the show notes that we've talked about in the show today. Uh, if you go to broadwayvideo.com, uh, you can find contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? When the Adams Family opened in 2010, it announced that it was based on characters created by Charles Adams. This wasn't, however, the first time that one of his characters sang on Broadway. Granted, when that happened, the character was unnamed, but Mr. Adams' name was specifically mentioned as the creator of the character before she sang. What's the show? What's the song? Well, in New Faces of 1952, the song Love is a Simple Thing detailed the many things that love can be. Then came the announcement that we'd hear love as seen through the eyes of a Charles Adams character who likened love to a poisoned ring, a lizard's tongue, a mummy's hand, and a coffin nail. Those who are enduring divorces right now will readily agree, I'm sure. Tony Janicki returned to first place, followed by Jack Leshner and Brigadude, and that was it. I guess it was a tough question. Maybe this one will be easier. A song from a James Bond movie wound up in a smash off-Broadway play less than a year later after the film's release. What's the Bond movie, the song, and the off-Broadway play in which it appeared? Hmm. All right. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, The Wiz will be coming back to Broadway, um, although not till spring 2024. It's going to be touring first but i'm sure many people are excited about that and really a great score i've always thought uh so our opener music for today is ease on down the road with stephanie mills and the original broadway cast and for the closer i thought um it would be okay to go to the film version because in the film version the song If You Believe is sung by the great Lena Horne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of hard to top that. So that's our closer. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye bye. Say it's yours.